Jesus said, come follow me. And I wonder how I would do if uh, he showed up and, you know, before I was in any kind of relationship with him and said, come follow me, how would I respond? And how would you respond? Come follow me. And Andrew and his brother, they immediately, well, actually it says, they left their nets. And then they went along the beach, and there was James and John, the brothers, and, and it says in response to their hearing of this call, follow me, that they immediately, is the word there, left their nets and their father. No hesitation, no reservation, let's just go. He's called, it's time, let's go. And my dear friends, our Lord Jesus is still today calling us and all people to hear this same word and call, follow me. He wants us to follow him both through this life and into eternity. He wants us to follow him so that we also live our lives following his mission of extending the same invitation to the world, to the nations, to the people that are around us. He is calling us to be those vessels through whom we invite others to believe, to belong, and also then to join in this task, this calling of witness. Come, follow me, says Jesus. Truth is, if I were to look across the congregation this morning, and I would have to say the average age in here is 69. It's a good number. And at a minimum, therefore, you have probably heard, if you have been in a liturgical church or a church that follows some kind of reading system, you have probably heard sermons or at least the readings of this gospel a multitude of times Follow me. And maybe it's kind of like a loved one who, you know, has a certain phrase or line and you've heard it so many times you don't even hear it anymore. But I'm asking you to take the earplugs out of your ears and I'm asking you to, you know, slow down just a moment and even open up your heart and say, really, what's he saying to me today? Follow me. There's a... Uh, a great cartoon that I've seen before and I've laughed at when I run into it again, but it's two Eskimos, and they're ice fishing. And they're sitting there in their chairs, and one of them, he's sitting next to, you know, kind of that typical size hole that they drill, kind of like when I went ice fishing with my brother, and, and afterwards, by the way, I did say, I'm glad I live in Florida, but, um, you know, we took out his auger and we drilled through three and a half feet of ice, <laughs> I first thought my brother was crazy when he drove his Suburban out on the middle of the lake. But here is this Eskimo, and he's got the traditional, you know, paper plate size hole that, you know, he's got his line, and he's just patiently waiting. And then as you look at this cartoon, there's his friend. And he has a Rose Bowl size hole that he has dug looking into the horizon. The reality is this. His friend looks over at him and like, huh, Mr. Big Shot, 
you know, talk about, you know, uh, being a little pompous or, you know, overconfident. But here's the thing. His buddy, who was sitting next to him, who had drilled this monstrous, cavernous-sized, whale-sized hole in the ice, this man had vision. He was going to allow nothing to hinder or interfere with what would end up on the end of his line. He had a great sense of vision. Well, my dear friends, I wonder about us. I wonder what size hole we are fishing in. I wonder if sometimes, even if we've even dug a hole, and even if we're even fishing, or we're just kind of waiting on the sideline, hoping somebody might throw us uh, an extra fish along the way. This man had vision. And indeed, we need to acknowledge that the Lord is calling us to have vision. You know, vision becomes contagious. You can't sit very long beside a fisherman like this Eskimo and not have it begin to affect you, not have it begin to think about, maybe I need to enlarge my hole in the ice. Maybe I need to enlarge my sense of vision of what God is calling me to. Something down inside us admires the person who stretches our faith by doing things that are filled with vision. Now I know that initially, at times, when we see people with a God-sized vision, we see them as a bit foolish. We see them kind of maybe even out of their mind. And some of you who've been around here for a long time know at times that I've acknowledged that even some of the leaders said that about me here. What do you mean, pastor, we're ready to buy land? And a year later, what do you mean we need to build now? There's only 125 of us. What do you mean we just moved here last month and we're going to begin to study and look into opening an early learning center? When we sometimes look at those with a vision or even sometimes wrestle with the vision that God is putting in our hearts, at first it can seem a little foolish. And that can occur when we don't know the facts behind the action. And such a view can hinder a God-sized vision. The truth is, too much of what we undertake lacks vision in our lives and in the Christian church. We cut our tiny holes in the ice. We make our plans to go home empty-handed, cold, and hungry. Think, well, I probably won't catch anything today. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves criticizing those who dream great dreams and plan great plans. Jesus, however, when he called Andrew and Simon, promised, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, as most of us learned it. Fishers of people. They probably thought too small. And I say that because when you read Luke chapter 5, uh, the account as it's recorded there, you get this picture of after they called them, they put their boats out there and they were fishing and they caught nothing. And Jesus told them to fish on the other side and they had so many fish they had to call another boat in. See, they doubted 
but God had greater plans. My dear friends, Jesus' response to them in their fear was this. Do not fear, for from now on you will be catching men. Jesus, you see, did realize their fear, and he challenged their vision and their way of thinking. Don't be afraid. With my help, you'll catch people just like you caught all those fish. We're going to be entering into this process of listening. Listening to the Lord, listening to one another, listening to the pulse of this community and world that we have been placed in for this time and for this place and for this purpose. And in doing so, the intent is that we need to listen to what God is calling us to now. I want to be more like those disciples who may have thought small to begin with, but with God's plan and His power and His Spirit working in and through us, great things can happen. I want to see this vision, and that's why as we are talking, I'm not talking about some big strategic plan, because I understand in most churches, and I've been unfortunately part of them at times, where we put together a strategic plan, and you know where it ends up? On the shelf. I want it to end up on your heart. I want it to end up being this sense of a vision that you have a clear picture of the preferred future of what God is calling us to, you to, amazing grace to. Late service last week, three baptisms. The result of the prayer of a faithful grandmother. That's the best way I can describe what happened. What would happen if every one of us were regularly praying that the Lord would introduce us to somebody that we could lead to follow Jesus and they would come here to the fount and they would receive the gift of God's grace in the waters and the word of baptism? That's part of the vision I think God's putting on my heart, but again, it's meant to be a process we go through together. Follow me, Jesus says. How long has it been since you've punched a hole in the ice and thrown out a line? Sure, it may mean breaking the ice with unbelievers, with pre-Christian believers, neighbors, classmates, co-workers, getting beyond the superficial stuff like the weather and how the Gators won yesterday and you know, um, what's going on in your life, or what new movie have you seen, or book have you read? It may mean investing some time, taking some risk, and putting out some effort of practical acts of compassion. Fishing with Jesus is no casual thing, but it is at the very heart of his vision for you and me and amazing grace. So are you expecting and praying for success? Too often, we might throw that out at one another in a conversation. Too often, we might just assume, well, isn't that what the church is about? But are we praying for it? Are we praying for people specifically by name that you and I know personally 
that whatever it is that is keeping them right now from the Lord, that he would break through. Are we praying for it and are we expecting success? For many, the first step in following Jesus into the neighborhood or into the community is attitude. If we think we'll be successful or unsuccessful, we're right. You know, it's kind of that self-fulfilling prophecy. What we anticipate in life is usually what we get. But God says, you can. He said in our reading today, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Paul's words. All things. Or, or as we read in our Gospel reading just a couple weeks ago, all things are possible with Christ. All things. Are we willing to believe it and to live it? My friends, it is true where there is no vision, people perish. Now let me bring that home a bit. Where there is no vision to love people into the arms of a Savior who died in their place, people perish. Neighbors perish. Friends perish. Family perish. That is, they die without Christ. Take another glimpse at those two Eskimos. And be honest, which hole are you fishing in? God's vision for us is to share His message of hope with all nations. He tells us in Luke chapter 24 that forgiveness and repentance is to be preached into all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. All nations. It's an amazing task he gives us. It's a huge task. And many of us feel all nations is too big of an assignment. Come on, Lord. Other believers stop because of the language barrier, some safety concern. And some of us just don't know how to start, and so we let insecurity keep us from even getting started. But Jesus' call remains, so we must figure out how to keep on track. Look at the things that limit us. Look at the things that hinder us. Deal with them. Second, God's transformation of our own lives should be a significant motivation. Listen to how Paul, whatever you have learned or received or heard in me, put it into practice. The fact is, you've experienced God's grace and His love in your life. So have I. What better place to speak from? Don't speak about somebody else's story. Don't even have to speak about some specific biblical story. Speak about who the Lord God is to you. Third, we need to rely on Jesus' promise of His presence and His Holy Spirit's empowerment. Remember the Lord said, with Him all things are possible. Once we face our objections, once we face our doubts and trust in the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit, we will be amazed at what God can do through us. Amazed. Do you remember the calling of the prophet Isaiah? 
beautiful, powerful imagery uh, of him being called in the year of uh, King Uzziah, that he di- the year he died. And he says this, the Lord saw high, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, and they were calling one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the sound of their voices, at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe is me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has been taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Isaiah, my friends, he sees and he responds to God, here I am, send me. No questions, no doubt, no self-examination apart from recognizing that he is sinful, broken, and human, and that God is great and powerful. His humanity doesn't hold him back. And recognizing that God is great and powerful, he says, here I am, send me. He doesn't question his skills. He doesn't question his abilities. He doesn't compare himself to anyone else. Isaiah had confidence in God. And I think far too often that's what the, where the stumbling block for many of us is. Our confidence that we identify or lack thereof is in ourselves or in this world or in some you know, knowledge or wisdom. But for Isaiah, it was in God. That in God, all things are possible. Isaiah had a clear understanding of God, believing that God is who he says and that he can do what he says he can do. His encounter with God and connection to him gave Isaiah a clear perspective and faith. God laid on him a vision. And I got to tell you, I want to be more like Isaiah. I want to know that as the Lord calls on me, I can put aside all my self-doubt, I can put aside comparing myself to any other, and I can just accept and trust that if He has called, He has called. I want to be unreserved in my response. How about you? My dear friends, don't be put off by the challenges or the perception of limitation that you see in yourself. God uses the broken, God uses the flawed to shine His power and love through us to the world. We are witnesses of what God can do. He can forgive, He can restore, He can love, and He can use even the broken. Our lives are a demonstration of His nature. 
Remember, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He will mold you. He will shape you. He will prepare you for what is ahead. So let us come and follow Jesus. Let us discover and follow His vision for amazing grace and for us as individuals. Amen.